Welcome to the Perfectly Integrated Podcast, hosted by Matt Ackerman, where we show the power of teamwork in wealth management. Now, on to the show. Storytelling. It's at the root of every civilization throughout history. Somewhere, gathered around a fire, a community grows because of a great story. Welcome back to Perfectly Integrated. I'm Matt Ackerman, and I am a storyteller. And I've always been a storyteller. As a kid, I'd come up from school and I'd tell a wild, heroic story of recess or gym class. And I can still hear my mom asking, Matt, is this a story or is this real? Because I'll listen either way, but I just need to know. You see, I just realized something. Now, 40 plus years later that I didn't realize at the time, my mom was my first compliance department. And every great storyteller needs a compliance department. And today... Since my mom can't be here, I'm proud to be joined by John Cataldo. John is the chief legal officer here at Integrated Partners. He and his team protect storytellers like me from ourselves, and he's one of the kindest, most generous people I've had the opportunity to work with in my career. Today, we're going to take a closer look at compliance and some of the new innovations advisors need to be aware of. Hey, John, welcome. Thank you, Matt. How are you doing? I'm doing well, my friend. So, John, tell us, why is compliance so essential? Compliance is important because, you know, we work in a very regulated industry, obviously. There's a lot of rules. There's a lot of regulations. There's a tremendous amount of responsibility, right? It's like Spider-Man. With great power comes great responsibility. And advisors have a tremendous amount of power over their clients' financial well-being. They also have vast amounts of data that's available to them, their clients' data, and protecting that. Right. So compliance is an important function and gatekeeper that helps us be able to provide that 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 service to the clients in a way that's going to be compliant with the rules and respectful of all of those different obligations we have because of our capacity with our friends and clients. With great power comes great responsibility. You got Spider-Man, but, you know, don't make him angry. He doesn't need, you don't like it when he's angry. Yeah, a little right. incredible Hulk for you too. You know, with all this in mind, why are so many advisors getting angry like the incredible Hulk here and a little exasperated when the topic of compliance comes up? Well, I think that um, that's probably a little bit of historic perspective, right? Um, like anything else, things change over time. And the old view of the compliance department was that they are the, the, the non-business department, that they're doing things to prevent business from happening, that they had a very restrictive way of viewpoint of doing things. That was also a function of the way that regulation sort of developed over time. Um, so the big wirehouses in firms where they have a less, less enlightened culture, you really did have compliance being viewed as somebody that really said no to most everything, as opposed to somebody that helped to understand what are you really trying to do? How are you trying to do it? Let's think about the rules that are involved and the different considerations. And let's come up with an iteration of what you want to do that's mindful of your entrepreneurial goal, you know, and also what rules relate to that so that we can come up with something that really works. So it's funny, coming from the, from the media side, Oftentimes you talk to an advisor, you talk to a financial services company, and they would tell you, oh, th this is all really great. This interview, went it's got to go through my compliance department before it could run. And they'd roll their eyes and, you know, you'd get all upset. And what I learned after a long time was sometimes they were using compliance as this like security blanket in case it didn't turn out well, in case things didn't go well. So we all started to get this negative feeling about compliance. But then I got to integrate it and found out compliance isn't necessarily a wet blanket, 
but oftentimes it's just trying to help you find the right solution. It's, it's like great improv a little, it's, it's yes. And and no, but it's, it's giving you other alternatives and solutions. That's been, been my experience since joining integrated three years ago. Right. And, and I think some of that comes from the perspective of the compliance department, the perspective of the firm overall, right? And if the approach is to look at compliance from the compliance officer's perspective, if their goal is to look at it as we provide an important service to advisors, right? Financial advisors are excellent asset gatherers or excellent asset managers. It's a necessary function of our business that you have all of these different things that need to occur in a practice, right? And while you're providing financial advice, but it's not core to the advisor's role. So especially in the independent space where you have a lot of entrepreneurial advisors, you know, they, they, it's, they don't appreciate, it's not, I don't say that in a bad way. What I mean is they don't have an appreciation for the fact that all this stuff has to happen. And, you know, it, it's not their job and their role to have to do all that themselves. If they do, then they are taking away from their role as an asset gatherer or an asset manager. And in fact, they're doing something that really isn't in their core skill set. So if the compliance department is approaching it from the perspective of being that partner, that that's their role. I'm not an asset gatherer, I'm not an asset manager, but we're in a symbiotic relationship here. And if I do my part and you do your part, we're all gonna succeed. And importantly, that takes us each understanding each other's roles. So explaining that to the advisors, having a compliance department that understands their role in the process, and everyone buying into the fact that you have different roles to play as part of this grand opera really helps to get that point across and build that relationship. It's all about being a great teammate and and at the end of the day saying, how can I help you find the solution you're looking for rather than just, you know, a big rubber stamp no across the top of the page, which was, like I said, my initial perception eight, 10 years ago was it was just a bunch of red stamp. No, you can't do that. Exactly. And, that, and that's commonly been the viewpoint. It's so interesting to me. Now, you must have seen some missteps through the course of your career. You know, do you have any any stories uh, for me? Uh, you know, advisors have made some really egregious compliance missteps through the years. Oh, boy, I certainly do. And, you know, again, I would say that the common thread in that is always a lack of appreciation of compliance's role. Right. That's been the common thread. So um, great examples would be you know, submitting marketing material, sending things out to clients um, that was well-intentioned, but wasn't really appreciating the different, um, you know, requirements, content standards, conflicts of interest, other kinds of disclosures that need to be in there. And then it resulting in something that days, weeks, months, or years later rears its ugly head, either in a client grievance or in an exam or an email review or some other way where you look at it and you say, well, but why did you send this out? This really doesn't meet X, Y, or Z standard. Well, I didn't think of it that way. I didn't really realize that that's what it was. Then you push back and you say, but here's all the education. Here's the training that you went through. And they say, yeah, I, I honestly just missed it. So that's that lack of appreciation piece um, that, that compliance is in a partnership with you and has a role in that partnership and, and is trying to do their part and protect you. It's when you don't avail yourself of it that you have some of those challenges. 
And the difficulty is in today's day and age, there's a lot more gray area than there used to be. So you think about it, you know, marketing used to be, oh, I ran this advertisement or I ran this, this leaflet that went out to my clients and that all got checked. But now your client communication is a lot broader. And it, again, straddles those gray areas, things like text messaging, things like uh, social media, things maybe you didn't even think about or consider 10 years ago that now are such a fabric of communication that you really have to proceed with caution, right? Agreed, you really do. And that's where using your compliance department, hearing what they're telling you, incorporating it in, being that great asset manager, that great asset gatherer, but at the same time having the appreciation that you've got these folks in the background that are trying to do these things and they're giving you the keys, the clues saying, if this, then that. So if you're gonna do this, send it to us first. So you just have that awareness in your mind. I agree 100%. And they're sitting there at uh, 1130 at night, they get a text message from a client who is also a buddy of theirs or a friend of a friend. And, you know, it's it's really about thinking twice before you act in any communications opportunity, if you will. Correct. Absolutely. Um, you know, making sure that, you know, if it's if it's a one on one communication, really the biggest thing that you need to think about, am I using the right channel? Right. And that's a good example. Your buddy texts you because he's been your buddy for 20 years. He's also been a client for 10 years and you're bantying about about, you know, non sequiturs. And then all of a sudden he says, hey, by the way, we got to get together and uh, and catch up on my account. I'm a little bit disappointed what's happening in the markets and I want to see if we can reposition ourselves. Right. Well, you just jumped from social banter through texting your 20 year old best friend to something that's business related. And you know, you, number one, you have to forward that to your business related approved communication medium. And then you have to respond through that medium and say, hey, Joe, uh, I'm responding through my rep chat or I'm responding through my email because we're talking about business now. So here's my answer, let's meet on Thursday. And that is foreign and difficult for a lot of advisors who are accustomed to that conversation over around a golf or, you know, a couple beers with a buddy. And this is how we, how I built my business one client at a time. And it, it's a change of mindset, but it's a change of mindset that could really protect them at the end of the day. You're breaking human nature. And that's what the hardest thing about it is. It's an inherently difficult task, but you really are. You're breaking human nature and making people have to be very cautious and very mindful of those communications every time they have one. Is this work related or is this friend related? You know, I have people that I have that have no client relationship with me that are solely friends. So I'm gonna, you know, being it's ingrained in my nature to communicate with them through, you know, non-firm approved means because it's not even firm business. I have people that are solely clients that I know my brain says. If it's coming through my email, it's automatically client related, so I'm gonna respond. And then you've got these hybrids, these people are in between where sometimes they're on this side of the line, sometimes they're on that side of the line. Yeah, it's so is that the best advice? Uh, proceed with caution. Is that the advice you give to advisors to protect, kind of protect them from themselves? Yeah, I would agree is proceed with caution, be mindful. It's not just knowing the rules, Matt. It's, it's thinking deeply whenever it's something that could jump into that lane. It doesn't take a lot. It just takes a bit of training, right? Like anything else, it takes training your brain to say, okay, can I respond through this or do I have to go here? 
we were talking about marketing a second ago, and there's been so many new innovations advisors are excited about when it comes to marketing. You know, we've heard some of the new rules that come with about testimonials, for example, you know, that the advisors are super excited about. Tell us about some of those changes and, you know, ultimately, you know, from all these perspectives, how advisors should proceed with caution, say, when it comes to uh, testimonials. Right, exactly. So a very, very brief, as brief as I can do history lesson, right? For investment advisors, especially, the SEC has had sort of two longstanding rules, one around advertising and one around referral relationships. And they were two entirely separate rules. And, and to summarize it, your advertising under the advertising rule had to be fair, equitable, well-disclosed, fair and balanced, and it could not include endorsements or testimonials from anybody, right? And then you had the solicitor rule that allowed for referrals. So you could compensate somebody for providing referrals to you as long as you met some of the requirements of the rule, which include a written disclosure statement provided to the person that receives the, the, the referral at the time the referral is made. So you had these sort of competing rules. Okay, you can't do an endorsement or a testimonial, but I can pay somebody for referring somebody to me. Isn't a referral isn't isn't referral an endorsement or a testimonial of some ilk, right? So these rules have sort of always existed um, side by side. Several years ago, the SEC was looking at things and said, you know, we haven't um, updated the marketing rule, the advertising rule, in about sixty years. We haven't updated the solicitor rule in about forty years. A lot has changed in the world with marketing and, and advertising over that period of time. And we've built this body of, of guidance through no action letters, risk alerts. Maybe it's time for us to take a look at the rule. So they did that and a new rule was proposed, went through comment period, and it was ultimately approved and became effective. And it's called the new marketing rule. And with the marketing rule, the big things that the marketing rule does is it incorporates the advertising rules and the solicitor rules into one new cohesive rule. And importantly, it created this concept of paid promoters, which are the solicitors of old, and unpaid promoters, which are testimonial providers and endorsers. And it finally, for the first time, allowed for unpaid testimonials or endorsements. So that's something that advisors are really closely looking at now and figuring out how to incorporate that where appropriate into their marketing materials. Testimonials and endorsements. This is a muddy area that, that in my brain gets muddier because of social media. I mean, we're all in a society now of, uh, of Yelp and a LinkedIn, LinkedIn, they have all sorts of things. I endorse Matt for public relations, or, you know, there's a Yelp review out there uh, that says, not about me, I, you know, haven't, I closed my Chinese restaurant a long time ago. I'm just kidding. But um, the, uh, there's Yelp reviews out there all the time about things beyond just Chinese restaurants for, for a lot of great businesses, including wealth managers. How does, how do those kind of endorsements uh, fall under this new rule? So to the, to the extent that there are systems like Yelp out there that people can go on on their own initiative and write an endorsement, good or bad, right? You have no control over that as the advisor. So that can be out there in the ether without uh, you know, really much control on your part. And, and there's no issue for you. If somebody goes on there and says, Matt is the best financial advisor in the world, I, I trust him explicitly, and you didn't ask for it then, hey, you get the benefit of it, right? 
if you seek that or then alternatively, even if you don't seek it, but you go ahead and use it, leverage it to your advantage by tweeting it out to people or something like that. Now that's something where it's becoming, you know, an endorsement or a testimonial that has to comply with the rule. And the rule just basically says a couple of different things. Number one, you have to ensure that the person, the recipient of that endorsement or testimonial um, is it's disclosed to them whether or not you're a client of Matt or not, number one. Number two, you have to disclose whether or not you are compensated for this, hence the paid promoter versus unpaid promoter. And then number three, you have to disclose any material conflicts of interest. What would a material conflict of interest be? Well, just so happens Matt's my brother-in-law and uh, you know he's beyond just my financial advisor. He manages all my money because he's my, my sister's husband, right? So you might wanna disclose, hey, there's a family relationship here. That's a material conflict of interest, right? Now, what about things like you uh, say thank you when someone says that, uh, puts that out there, you put a thank you uh, as the next message on social media, or you just hit the like button to say, to, to give a thumbs up after they say, it. is that a acknowledgement? Is that of that endorsement? Is that something you shouldn't be doing either? Good question. I think you should check with your compliance department because that's still in flux. And it's funny you mentioned something like that because that highlights some of the uncertainty with new rules, right? So this, uh, the new marketing rule has been in effect since November of last year. So it's, you know, relatively recent in the enforcement spectrum. I mentioned before guidance, risk alerts, no action letters, all of that body of interpretation that was built over 40 years under the old rules was completely done away with when the new rule was enacted. So we have to build up a body of law responding exactly to those kind of questions that doesn't exist yet. So we're in a little bit of a gray area. And in fact, just two days ago, the SEC issued a risk alert saying what their expectations are of firms when they come out and do exams on the marketing rule. They expect the marketing rule is gonna be incorporated into routine exams. They're gonna do some targeted exams as well. And they're gonna be asking firms these questions. Why? Because they don't have the answers to them. They wanna see what people are doing and then they will provide more guidance. So you really do need to check with your compliance department to see what their interpretation is. Taking us from kind of passive now to the active testimony. And these are things that I'm getting questioned, uh, questioned about it, through it, through our advisors about marketing is, okay, can I put testimonials right onto my website? And if so, do can I use real client name or can do I need to kind of create an avatar of what that client looks like? Pam, business owner, 33. So you're not being as explicit as saying, you know, this is my client, Pamela Johnson. She's a 33-year-old and she owns uh, three Lululemon stores uh, throughout the uh, tri-state area. Like, what, what do you recommend there when it comes to this active kind of testimonial action on a website? Excellent question. The first thing I would say is, as with all advertising, check with your firm, check with your compliance department, check with your operations or marketing departments, make sure you understand what the rules are, what they, how they interpret them and what they, what their expectations are for you. You know, my personal opinion when it comes to that example of, can it be a personal endorsement or does it have to be impersonal and, and, you know, neutralized? You could use either, right? You could say satisfied client, or it could say John Cataldo. Right? It all depends on what the message is that you're trying to convey, how you're trying to convey it. But most importantly, make sure that you're, you're complying with what your firm's compliance you know, and surveillance obligations are and how they want you to submit that business to them, that, that, that marketing. 
from a web development and marketing perspective too, to me, the dilemma this creates is, so from a content perspective, John, I, it's interesting because I think if you're going to have three testimonials on your site, you're going to want to have six, eight, 10 at the ready, ready to go, because you don't want it to look stale. You don't want it to look like you've only got three satisfied customers. What do you think about that, about just in terms of the content website compliance marriage here so that your marketing always looks fresh and new? No, that's a great question. And that's something that we've seen already with websites historically before this whole testimonial stuff came up. You know, advisors have websites that are more interactive. Some have static websites. Others have some that are more uh, more actively changing. And they get that content sometimes approved well in advance. You don't have to wait until you want to change that banner or that testimonial to get it approved. Get five or six or eight or ten approved that you can then rotate through on a monthly basis, you know, so you don't have to be waiting for a new approval. You know, the the marketing rules, the compliance rules are always evolving. What else is on the horizon right now that has you intrigued a little bit that advisors need to be aware of now so they can begin to get ready for before, you know, things shift? Good question. So the marketing rule is the biggest one. We've talked a lot about that. Um, there are some other rules that are coming down the pipe as well with respect to custody, which is, again, these are sort of technical things for investment advisors or cybersecurity um, that I think everyone needs to be aware of. Why do they need to be aware of that as an advisor? Because the way you interact with your client under the custody rule, if that changes, that might change a little bit. So you need to understand what is your firm saying and how are they interpreting any of these rule changes? Cybersecurity is another enormous one, probably the biggest one in my mind, um, because that's an ever evolving area where there's tremendous uh, threat, you know, because they're, you know, cyber criminals are always trying to break through walls and we're always trying to build the walls higher. So firms are frequently pushing out information to their field force and, and letting you know what their expectations are, what the risks are, what you need to be aware of. And it's an especially challenging area because the infiltrations don't just come from within. It's not just like we can build the walls around our, uh, our, our fortress and build them nice and high. Clients come through that wall every day. And if a client gets infiltrated, then somebody can piggyback on them. So it is an area where we have to be really diligent. Cybersecurity is so frightening because of the fact that They've gotten so, the scammers have gotten so much better of learning things, whether it be some of the phishing scams we're seeing, some of the scams just in terms of of, of hacking and, and, and breach of personal data. Is there any security measures, is there anything that can be done to kind of safeguard your practice? Or, or is it just, you have to remain really super diligent here? Remain super diligent, but always adhere to best practices, right? In, in independent advisors, you know, you're going to typically have, some degree of an IT solution, whether it's through your web provider, your internet provider, your firm, uh, an outsourced IT group, make sure that you are installing and frequently updating best in practice endpoint encryption, you know, firewalls, things like that. I'm not a technical person when it comes to that stuff. I just know, you know, what I'm told. So, you know, I, I know enough to say, trust your, trust your professionals to help you, but, but put those professionals in place, whoever they are, whatever's right for your practice. So a lot of great themes here today, themes around remaining diligent, asking questions and relying on the people around you, like your amazing compliance department that can protect you from yourself a little bit. Any big takeaway here, John, for advisors to keep in mind as they think about both compliance and also protecting themselves from themselves. Partnership. 
really. Think of compliance as a partnership. Think of it as, as another tool in your tool belt that helps you be that great asset manager and asset gatherer. Fantastic, John. Always great to chat. But now I always end. One last question is always for my 11-year-old son, CJ. CJ and I love to chat before a podcast gets me focused. Uh, I was telling him a little bit about you and some of the interesting jobs that you've had, including, and I was told this, that you were one time a DJ, uh, which I thought was awesome as somebody who likes to pretend he's got a good DJ voice. Uh, but so CJ asked, what job have, did you have in your life that really influenced who you are today? Oh boy, I've had a lot of eclectic jobs. You said I was a DJ and I was a DJ. I also used to drive limousines. I can tell you a lot of stories about that. I also was um, a staffer for a, uh, a state politician. So uh, I, I've done a lot of different things. And I think the one that probably influenced who I am and the perspective I am to, I have today, well, they all have in their own unique ways. But I would say being a staffer, at the Massachusetts State House was probably the one that had the most impact on me. I was in my early 20s at the time. And the biggest takeaway from that was forward thinking. Always be thinking two, three, four steps ahead. The representative I worked with was always thinking about when, when being presented with new legislation, when asking me to research new legislation, when just talking with me about the process of, of, of considering it and considering you know, their efforts with their fellow lawmakers about to get things passed or how to, deal, how to get consensus on laws. It was always thinking not just about what is the impact of this law today, but what's it going to have two, three, five, ten years down the road? What's the impact going to be on different initiatives? And how am I going to wrangle support for this with all that in mind? And, that, and I've taken that forward in this, in this compliance relationship because I'm always trying to think two, three, four steps ahead with when we implement you know, policies and procedures around rules, when we are trying to partner with advisors, how is this going to impact their practice and, and how are things going to change down the road? That's amazing, my friend. I think if I was answering that question, I would say the job that I had that really impacted me the most is I wrote obituaries at a newspaper in New Jersey from the time I was a senior in high school until I graduated college. And it made me realize that everybody's the hero of their story and everybody has a story that deserves to be told. So I think that that's, that's my answer for that question. Sometimes I get to answer CJ's questions too. Yeah, enjoy you that. <laughs> well, John, thank you so much. Great conversation today. And I hope that everyone took a little bit from this. This has been another incredible episode of Perfectly Integrated. Thank you so much for joining us today. For Integrated Partners, he's John Cataldo. I'm Matt Ackerman. Have a great day.